Welcome to our podcast from the Ark Insider. I'm Karen Allen, and I'm speaking to you from Johannesburg. Tara O'Connor, my co-presenter, is the Managing Director of Ark, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm, Africa Risk Consulting, and she joins us from France. The Ark Insider aims to offer some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation to stimulate ideas among those who live, work, and breathe African affairs. We'll touch on some of the events that have been in the news, as well as ongoing topics of interest. First, though, Tara, welcome. Hello, Karen. Great to be chatting to you again. Good to be chatting to you, too. We've got a great podcast ahead. We've got the executive producers of the Netflix-commissioned hit series Queen Sonor, a sort of African 007, joining us later to talk about the film industry and how important it is as an African export and a growth business internationally. But first, Tara, uh, you've broken free from London. You're speaking to me from France, not far from Bordeaux, I understand. That's right, Karen. I just uh, felt it was about time, as soon as I could, as soon as it was allowable, I actually jumped on a train uh, and came all the way down here. It's interesting because we're on opposite sides of the, the world and opposite sides of the covid uh, pandemic in a way, because here in South Africa, we've got soaring infection rates. Um, it's ranking as number five in the world. The reclosure of public schools from next week and, of course, the ban on alcohol and cigarettes still continues. So it's feeling rather grim, I have to say. We've also had the sad news of the death of the last Rivonia trialist, Andrew Mglenny, a contemporary of Nelson Mandela and one of the giants of the anti-apartheid struggle who the nation really did hold dear. Let's take a look at that and some other stories that have dominated the news since our last podcast. The last survivor of the band of brothers who faced the death penalty with Nelson Mandela in 1964 has died. Andrew The government Lundin has said it was absolutely necessary to reimpose quarantine restrictions on arrivals from Spain a day after the change came into effect with just a few hours notice. And the Russian hackers are accused of trying to steal research from several institutions developed Developing a COVID-19 vaccine. As this coronavirus cases surge, Kenya has restricted alcohol sales. President Uhuru Kenyatta has announced a ban on the sale of alcohol at restaurants effective for the next 30 days. Well, Tara, here in South Africa, one of the big talking points really this week has been about corruption. Cyril Ramaphosa, the president, giving a stern warning about COVID-related corruption. You remember right at the start of the lockdown, he said that would be sort of zero tolerance of corruption. And there have been allegations of fraudulent welfare benefit claims, overpricing of goods and services, um, violation of emergency procurement regulations, collusion between officials, abuse of food parcel distributions, and the creation of fake non-profit organizations in order to access funding. Now, remember, when we talked to Jongi Thongo, the Kenyan uh, former anti-corruption czar, uh, a few weeks ago, he was saying, look, you, you've just got to expect that there will be corruption in quite a significant scale. But it is interesting that he really is being quite stern um, and he does seem to be trying to really clamp down on this. He's, he's given the Special Investigations Unit some extra powers. I think this is music to many people's ears. Um, and I think, you know, John Githongo's uh, point was also that this is going to happen, but... Um, the important thing is that there is a an investigation afterwards, and this seems to be it. 
What's happening over uh, on your news radar, Atara? I mean, it's something that we focused on in our last podcast was, of course, uh, it's Zimbabwe and the and what we were, you know, hinting at or that we had understood was that Old Mutual, the South African giant company, was actually the target of the ZANU PF moves to uh, force the company to delist, and that now seems to be the case. But what's interesting about it is that um, the directive doesn't hasn't come from the uh, from either the finance minister or any of the regulatory bodies, but actually from the ZANU PF's Politburo itself. And the second thing it's done, it's actually the ZANU PF Politburo has in, said that not only should uh, uh, Old Mutual delist immediately but that the government should set up a second exchange that is traded in exclusively in dollars that is basically run by the government uh, and and that Old Mutual should relist on that. That seems to be the direction of travel. And the reason why Old Mutual can be so influential... It's one of the oldest companies in Zimbabwe. It's also one of the largest companies in Zimbabwe. And actually, it, uh, it is the biggest share that is traded on the, on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange at the moment. Well, it's not being traded at the moment because, of course, uh, the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange is suspended. Absolutely, and that's another issue. But let's just turn to Sudan. Omar al-Bashir, the former uh, president of Sudan, who's already um, serving jail time for corruption, um, back in the dock again, isn't he? Yes, and um, this, I think, it's also a nice segue from Zimbabwe because it does remember, it does remind leaders that... Uh, that the law will catch up with you eventually. And Omar Bashir is now in court facing charges for the crimes that were committed in the immediate wake of the coup that brought him to power in the late 1980s. So the long arm of the law eventually gets there. And of course, he's got this case. As we've said, he's already serving time for corruption. He was also charged in May 2019 with incitement and involvement in the killing of a number of um, soldiers uh, that were trying to overthrow him after he seized power in 1989. And of course, the International Criminal Court. He's wanted there for war crimes, uh, alleged crimes against humanity and, and alleged genocide. We've spoken about before about how Sudan is just a fantastic example of how the Arab Spring um, populism in the Arab Spring, a popular protest that has actually led to the overthrow of a very long-standing dictator. Uh, and who and it's that new opposition-led government that has actually reinstated the rule of law and is actually bringing Omar Bashir and, and his colleagues back to yeah, court. Yeah, it is interesting. It's taken time. And just the optics of it for me, Tara, I mean, I covered Darfur a lot and I remember interviewing Omar Bashir on several occasions, but what I remember more than anything is he used to call these press conferences at two o'clock in the morning and they'd get all the journalists to wait until four in the morning because uh, he was an insomniac. And to have the power to be able to snap your fingers like that, and I mean, it's a silly example, but to now see him in the dock, to see him as a shadow of his former self is really quite powerful. And I'm watching that as a humble civilian. Imagine if you were another, as you say, another political leader anywhere else in the world to think that, you know, how the mighty fall. Absolutely. How the mighty fall. 
And that midnight story is extraordinary. Um, there, you know, I do remember um, that uh, that was a favourite time of of one of the Guinean dictators. Um, uh, was was also used to hold all business uh, after midnight. So, <laughs> um, quite extraordinary behaviour. Gas, gas in uh, Mozambique. Yes, fantastic. And now this again is an, news of an absolute game changer for the, for the Southern African Development Community region and for Mozambique in particular. And I think um, the $16 billion of funding has been secured to develop the LNG project in the remote north of Mozambique. Uh, amongst the banks that are financing are the African Development Bank and South Africa Standard Bank Group. Um, but it, within two years, this will completely transform Mozambique. So the, the real question is that whether those substantial revenues will be used for the benefit of uh, social and economic development of Mozambique, or will Mozambique follow Angola and maybe Nigeria, allow for massive corruption and a huge disparity of wealth? Now, actually, I, as a, I have confidence in uh, Philip Nusi, the president, who has consistently put the development of the population, you know, social development and security at the top of the government agenda. So very much with the benefit of the doubt, um, it is a game changer for Mozambique. It's a game changer for the region. And it also has geopolitical implications because, of course, it makes Mozambique one of the world's biggest LNG producers and a challenge to Russia. Really interesting. You are the energy specialist, so I, I definitely uh, defer to you on this. Um, time now to change gear, or at least time in a moment to change gear from energy to spies. You're listening to The Ark Insider, the Africa-focused podcast with Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Now, if you're a fan of Netflix and appreciate high production values and a bit of action, well, take a listen to this. Queen. I suggest you keep a low profile. This is not good. Queen, get out of there now. Let's go get him. Is the trailer to the immensely successful Netflix commissioned spy thriller series Queen Sonal. It's a sort of 007, highly sophisticated African style, with a feisty female lead character, the daughter of a slain struggle activist, played by the super cool Pearl Tusi, along with a raft of other big name artists, including Abigail Kubeka, a big name South African vocalist who I read just turned 80 last year. I say it's an African series because although it's the creation of a South African team, one of the things that makes it stand out is that it really is truly Pan-African. It's set in different parts of the continent and takes on issues of corruption, conflict minerals, dodgy private security firms and post-traumatic stress. And it presents it in a highly polished, internationally accessible format. What's more, it seems to have taken Netflix by storm and not just in Africa. Well, we've managed to prize the husband and wife team of executive producers of Queen Sonal from their writing meeting to join us virtually. They're Kagiso Lediga 
and Tamsin Anderson. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Really good to speak to you. I'm just um, up the road in, in Johannesburg. Tara, a little further away in France, but it's really lovely to have you to join the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Look, for the benefit of our listeners, you're both South African. You've got huge amounts of experience in this market. Kagiso, people may know you from your stand-up comedy and from the satirical wit with the programme Late Night News with Loisa Gola. I learned a lot about my South African politics that way. But Queen Sono has taken things to an entirely different level. Look, just in a few words, can you describe how this series is different to what's been the traditional offering on the African continent. For starters, it's kind of particular, it's a genre piece, which we never really do here. I mean, if you're familiar with South African or African television, is we tend to make um, these kind of grand melodramas. You know, it's always these kind of family melodramas. Sometimes there's witchcraft. A lot of times there's witchcraft. There's evil, evil women, lots of evil women all the time. So we kind of, uh, I, I, you know, we thought to make something that was a lot more fun, um, a lot more contemporary, but also, you know, fantastical. I mean, the idea of a, an African female, you know, physically thwarting like men and also showcasing Africa. Like, you know, because I, I think African narratives tend to be quite insular to the places that they come, you know, even as South African, the things that we do that are South African will tend to kind of only appeal to South African sensibilities. So if you're watching them as an outsider, it tends to be just like, okay, I guess this is not for me, you know? So we wanted to also for, for South Africans and Africans in general to see like the continent in a different way, like this kind of sexy place that also Africans like, you know, engage with in this type of way. You're pushing an open door, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew, uh, Tara grew up in Zambia. I lived in Kenya for a long time. I mean, we're both real Afrophiles and it really does appeal to that kind of Pan-African feel. You know, you don't have to know about South Africa. You don't have to know about the continent really to to feel that this also speaks to you. This is a modern continent now. We have sort of, uh, it's a totally different place. And uh, what I get from this is that it's addressing Mm -hmm. that as a, you know, super modern. Uh, Africa is a super modern place. Yeah, yeah. I think it was also, to add to that, it was quite important for us to give a real sense of um, the context, our context in history as South Africa, and to kind of, to layer in um, elements of some sort of political commentary without being overtly political. So there's, we come from the satirical news background to some extent, and uh, the ability to kind of comment on the legacy of apartheid in a way that isn't sort of sledgehammerish, but in a way that, you know, how is it affecting this, you know, the hero of the story on a personal level? How is it affecting the politics of this country and this region? You know, it was, that was quite important for us as well as to kind of really locate it in a super modern kind of sexy sort of world. <laughs> yeah, because this sort of kick-ass, I don't know if I'm allowed to say kick-ass on our podcast, but I've just said it, the, the lead the lead woman, I mean, she she, she suffers from PTSD, right? She saw her mum killed and um, it's continued to haunt her sort of throughout her adult life. And that oh, I was just going to say, really like, so many people in South Africa have these kind of, you know, have issues directly from the apartheid era. It wasn't that long ago. And I think that 
you know, there's, there's often a sense of, you know, oh, apartheid is dealt with in these big period pieces, and that's kind of where it belongs in the media. Um, and this, you know, this is much more like, no, it's a part of contemporary everyday life. And this is a young woman in her 30s who's really struggling. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, can we ask you a few businessy type things? It's a Netflix commission series, and they've just signed up for another season. So is that level of commitment uh, something that we just haven't seen before? Because... I understand normally they would not necessarily commission up front, they'd basically get you to take the risk and then buy the end product. Well, it's both. I mean, we, we made our, the sort of first official African Netflix uh, piece of content where it kind of, you know, which had the Netflix brand on it was a film that we made called Catching Feelings where myself and Tam produced, I acted and directed and that's where we first worked with Pearl Tusi. You know, that way we produced, we went all at risk and then when uh, we took it to Netflix and they kind of licensed it as a finished product. But I think as a result of those types of things where they could see that, I mean, obviously they wanted to get into the continent uh, as they are going all over the world, but that those pieces of content proved that there was a market and that they could make shows, African shows that not only resonated with Africans, but could travel. They always say that, you know, after 28 days, when they've seen that the numbers or there's traction for the piece of content, they will recommit for another season, which is exactly what happened. So it was really exciting. Yes. It also brings in the COVID issue. I think COVID-19 has added 20, 26 million subscribers. So you're, it's quite a windfall for your industry and probably for Queen Sono of... So many people are now at home and live streaming. And do you expect that to be sustainable and continue? Well, I, well, I mean, I think it, it, it helped. I mean, there was that show with, with, with those shows that happened at the same time as Queen Son as well. Like there was, I mean, when you read in the media, all the business papers, not Netflix's stock kind of spiked there. Not just Netflix, all the streaming uh, platforms and also... You know, subscribers, because what did we have to do? We we're all in like sweatpants and pajamas streaming shows, you know? And and I guess, yeah, so, so I think that, that definitely helped. But for, for sort of a, a piece of content from Johannesburg, essentially, or an African piece of content to go out to 190 countries, I think, like, you know, it's all over the world and being uh, dubbed into like, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, French. So it's it's really cool. It's like a, a great thing to kind of get uh, the, the, the fact that a piece of African content can be so universal, can be made so universal, in su- also in such a brazen way. You know, like we only get, uh, you know, Marvel or Disney things that get this type of um, a global, you know, Packaging. Yeah, I think it's had like quite an invigorating, a pr- a invigorating effect as a producer. You know, it's kind of up until now, one is always told, you know, you're, you, you really need to kind of make it in your home territory. And then maybe possibly you might one day be able to kind of reach a little bit further than that. And we'll see. And especially coming out of South Africa, it's felt in some ways like you're far from the rest of the world. And this kind of global platforming has completely sort of change that it's marked a very definite sort of shift in how we can now approach um not just storytelling because the storytelling is kind of the same but sort of a confidence that you know wow the story is actually even though it's so local it is actually universal enough that it it got play in brazil and in you know 
the US and all over the world. So it's it's incredibly it's got a, it's it's very exciting. <laughs> Your character, where do you, what are your um, source uh, inspirations of how did you get your storylines? Are they, have you picked um, stories from the newspapers or what is the actual root of your good stories? Yeah, there is, I mean, the, the idea, I always say in the writing room that, you know, the things that happen, the things that spy do, spies do, we read about in the newspapers and we see on the news. You know, we, we, it's like they affect national, you know, there's like national and global stakes to what spies do. And there's like always like a political intrigue, a political, strong political element, if not corporate. You know, it's like all very kind of global. Let's change the way the world moves or let's stop. Let's let's continue the status quo. Let's stop it. That spies are out there. You know, if if you're taking it to James Bond levels, now they're literally stopping nuclear explosions and the the Earth's core from being exploded by a crazy, you know, media tycoon. It's always nuts like that. But I, I just like that we can take that and we can we it was something that we were able to take things from the news as you mentioned that we could how do we have how do we do that how do we, like as people who come from a show like late night news with Luis Ogola um uh, and we love the kind of politics of South Africa the past and how the history is affecting the present and all of that how do we do that and what is the best genre for that and we also like like the idea of action you know because when Pearl Tusi came to us she had she was like what about we were we kind of were sitting around the three of us myself Tamsin and Pearl around our table outside in the garden and we knew after doing Catch and Feelings that we wanted to work again together and she had just done a movie the Scorpion King Scorpion King 10 11 one of those for it was a straight to video thing it was a straight to video for for Universal, but then she it, she that she did these really great stunts, and she really felt that she loved doing does stunts. Does she do her own stunts? And the next does, thing, does she do her own stunts? She does a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. She does a lot of her own wow. stunts. She does a lot of she does have a stunt double as well, but she does do a lot of them, yeah, yeah. So so based on that, we were like, okay, let's she was like, whatever we do, let's do something that's like action based and all of that and I got really excited because I always wanted to do a spy thing as espionage satire but then she she wanted to do like a Lara Croft Tomb Raider thing and I was like okay that's cool but I, I you know there was no threat whereas spy has politics has history has all of that and then I I pitched them a story and then we kind of started riffing on it and we got really excited you know the idea of Safia Sono being this sort of old struggle um, icon, you know, and what she represented. And then, you know, did corruption, you know, did her idea get killed by apartheid or did, did corruption that exists now? How does, you know, where does it start? Where, where will it go? All of those kind of things. But then also just regular, kind of neo-colonial things, you know, exploitation of Africa and so on. And so we thought that that's like really cool stuff. It kind of like this grand, um, um, it's like these grand sort of political um, uh, propositions, which were we. I thought it was like a cool way for for people, like young people, to watch and be like, "Ah, oh, wow, that's such a cool idea," which we never thought, you know, about colonial things like the church, even and all of that, and the idea of the bad guys, 
being maybe having elements of goodness in them and vice versa. So yeah, that was, and we're still playing with that now in the second season. So yeah. And also just to add to that, I think also the thing of having this really strong female character who's kind of navigating her way around this and, you, you know, like the, the whole, as you were saying earlier, the kick-ass element, like this, this woman who kind of younger girls or teenagers or young women could look up to as somebody who could literally kick ass, you know, and could kind of deal with the, the kind of, yeah, to, 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 there was a, during the time when we were kind of, um, when, when it was first being created, there was the whole men are trash movement, which kind of came about where, with men kind of, you know, it was like very much in the news. And obviously it's something that's happening all the time. But at that point, it was like this, a lot of awareness around the types of awful sort of gender-based violence that women were at the hands of in this country. And then the idea of creating this female heroine who was just this really strong woman who could kind of, uh, deal with these types of men was also like a cool thing and a cool thread that I think was pulled through quite strongly. Really interesting. I'm very much aware of uh, of your time limitations and the fact that actually if we talk to you for too long, an important plot line might be lost because I know you've been having your writing meeting. We don't want to be responsible <laughs> for that. We ask all of our guests what one thing... Have you learned about yourselves uh, from COVID nineteen? I think maybe maybe I, I maybe I speak for both of us, but mostly myself. I think there's a bit of I'm a bit of a workaholic. Like we, the ability to kind of stop working becomes defeated by the fact that you are at home. You know, when you're at the office, the end of the day is marked is marked by the end of the day. You know, where now you can kind of do other things. Yeah, that now, is so And true. because of yeah. doing like these shows like with Netflix and talking to other international producers and partners that your day can end up being, you know, like a full, like t- almost 18 hour day, 15 hour day because of all the different time zones. And so it's been a crazy, now I feel like I really need a holiday. Whereas uh, if I'm working during regular time, peace time, I'll call it, is that I can leave the office and go for a drink, which is also not an option anymore. I can't go and meet friends for a drink. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to work. And I feel like there's the danger. One has to sort of self-regulate a bit, a bit more than what when when it's regular time. Yeah. Yeah. There was an initial like two weeks that I felt were very kind of chilled and everybody was like, let's not make this into a productivity contest. And I was fully on board with that. And then suddenly the productivity levels just kind of really amped up. And now, yeah, like Kag says, we're busy doing kind of the calls with LA start at 5 p.m. And that's when the day, the South Africa day kind of ends. So it's it's been like a very workaholic period. I also learned that possibly I like hikes a lot more than I ever thought that I did because that's been our only way of really breaking out. <laughs> so listen both thank you so much for that that was really really good and um and every success with the second series yeah do you have a date no we don't have a date i mean we don't even know when we can start i mean maybe this is what you want to put in there as well with thanks to covid because of like production limitations like the limits you know how many people you can have on set and how to how is it going to work well, you can film with less than, I think at this point, it's less than 75 people on set, but it sounds like a lot. But actually, 
uh, you know, on a regular day in Queen Sono season one, we'd probably have between 85 and 110 people, depending on how many extras were in a scene, for example. So yeah, it's a very different way of looking at things. It's kind of like, how do you make this really full world and also keep it really tight and controlled and Maybe, yeah, we have to relook all of those types of things. You have to relook because it's like how you're gonna how you're gonna shoot a taxi ring. How you're gonna do this? What's that? In season one, we had a scene that was at in episode six that was in the stadium, and for that scene, we had to have like visual effects to kind of do crowd replication. But even so, we had like four hundred people to start with. So that kind of world is like I don't think we're gonna be shooting like that for years to come. Now I think COVID has probably changed everything. Maybe extras. Extras will become really expensive and you maybe have like extra colonies where they're like really safe. You can't come in. They're all like a closed user group of people that just are like background people on movies and they you call on them and it's like, yeah, they, they live that life and you are pretty much sure that they don't have, you know, they're isolated. Yeah, I must write that down as a business <laughs> service for the movie I industry. like the way mm. your mind works. Listen, guys, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much. Cool. Really, really best of luck uh, with, with the next series. All right, cheers then. Thank All you. All right, man, you guys as well. Have a great week. Thank you so much. Really, really interesting. I guess the bottom line is if you drill down, a good story is a good story wherever it is in the world. And Netflix has given the opportunity to be able to tell those stories. Absolutely. And then if you also, if you drill down, you hit gold. Uh, between Nollywood and now Netflix, uh, this is an industry already worth over $7 billion. And uh, and it looks as set to increase something like sixfold. So definitely one to watch. You've been listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested, Tara's team at ARC produces a daily chronology of events as well as reports and briefings about the region. You can sign up for these at info at Consulting. that's all one word, dot com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Bye for now. <laughs>